0: Deep in the imagination, there's a crossroads, a space where curiosity and inspiration intersect and give birth to ideas. A space where music, science fiction, comic books, and pop culture inform the mind of what is and what could be. This is Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. In each episode, legendary journalist Jeff Boucher welcomes the biggest names in genre entertainment for an expansive dive into all things pop culture. Journey with Jeff as he explores the latest news and recommendations of the hottest releases across entertainment with his most trusted confidants. You are now entering deep space. Heavy Metal presents Jeff Boucher's Mind Space.
1: I'm here with Maya St. Clair and Garrett Nichol, and this week uh, we have a really special guest, Robert Kirkman, one of the most important comic book creators of the last 20 years. Uh, You know him as the creator of The Walking Dead, and we'll be talking to him today about Invincible, specifically the animated series on Amazon Prime that just had its season one finale. Um, Really excited about it and uh, looking forward to the interview. Anyway, it's good to see you. How's things?
2: Great to see you, man. I mean, you know, things are good. Things are good. Hoping this pandemic will be over soon.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, It is getting a little wearisome, isn't it?
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know. I see the news out of India and I'm like, yeah, so this is going to keep going. (laughs) So,
1: yeah, yeah. It's like the sequel we nobody wanted, you know, Um, yeah. So I think, you know, I was thinking about, I think the last time that I saw you uh, real quickly was the Festival of Books, the LA Times Festival of Books.
2: Is it that long ago? Have we not seen each other since then? I
1: I don't think, or maybe I think my son and I ran into you at the Video Game Awards after that. Um, Now that I think about it, there was a year that you just, you just had like a triumphant year there. (laughs) It was fantastic. We were watching, it was a, uh, it's always a fun show, but they had Snoop Dogg there, so everybody's still trying to get their head around what a video game award show was and you know it was fantastic
2: yeah the only thing I remember about that reward show is uh, I think it was Zoe Saldana presented us the award for the walking dead game or something yeah uh, that's always fun
1: yeah yeah I think she's she's great she's like uh she's the only person that could potentially catch uh Sigourney Weaver for title of empress of science fiction like you know if oh yeah, you think yeah. About
2: it. No, she's literally in everything
1: she is literally in everything. Well, you know, it's funny too, growing up, she loved science fiction. She was a, a big, you know, an intense fan of like Dune and Foundation and, uh, you know, her mom was a big sci-fi novel That's person, cool. so. Um, right, that
2: helps.
1: Yeah, you know, it makes you like root for her, you know, uh, so she really enjoys all that stuff. Um, so uh, congratulations on Invincible. Uh, I've, I was just watching episode eight uh, for the second time and, uh, the, the pot, the body of pot, excuse me, the pile of bodies, uh, that's just a, it, I had to go back and watch that again. I'm like, wow, he really did that. That's fantastic.
2: Yeah. It's a, it's a brutal episode. I mean, I don't yeah. know. I don't, I wonder if anyone has ever ac- actually done the body count, uh, for that episode, but, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, it's a, you gotta, you gotta amp the drama. And, uh, I think yeah. amping the violence does that. And, uh, you know, we, uh tried to pull no punches and I think we accomplished that um, you know there are times when I watch it I'm like eh, maybe we went maybe a step too far I don't know but uh, it's pretty cool and uh, I'm always trying to do things that uh, you know shock people and startle people and, I, and I, I'm always striving to go uh, to places that other people haven't gone um, possibly there's a reason that people haven't gone in those directions but but I'm pretty happy with how the episode turned out and people seem to be enjoying the show so it's, it's really cool.
1: It's really good. It's really, really good. And uh, uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating because this is a place that a lot of people are going these days because we, you know, I mean, uh, you look at television with, if you had told me that, um, you know, uh, Invincible and Watchmen and uh, Doom Patrol and The Boys, uh, that I'd be watching these, you know, Preacher, like what? Like my head, you know, was not prepared for any of this to ever actually happen. Uh, yeah, it's pretty yeah, fascinating.
2: Like, uh, the old Warhol quote: "In the in the future, everyone gets fifteen minutes of fame." And now it's like in the future, every comic book gets a TV show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, a lot of them are really good, though, which is really is it's the really interesting thing, and uh, uh, it's it's interesting what it's doing to the superhero uh, concept. You know, it's it's you know the, we're pretty far into superhero cinema at this point. I mean, if it started with yeah. you know uh, uh, Richard Donner Superman. Uh, and kind of really formed with, you know, Batman in 89 and then changed with X-Men and, and Spider-Man uh, and then what it is now. And uh, that, you know, the arc of it is really interesting because now we're the subversive superheroes. I mean, it's like almost kind of undermining and deconstructing it uh, in this sort of like dark way. Um, it's kind of a crowded area though, but it, it, none of them feel dependent on each other or derivative they I mean those they all stand pretty strong on their own
2: yeah I mean I think the the key there is that um, you know you can do anything in the context of superheroes you can have superhero horror you can have superhero adventure you can have superhero comedy you can have superhero romance so you basically just take all of the subgenres you know available in film and television and you just sprinkle a little bit of superhero on it and it just makes it uh, cooler and more exciting. So I think that because of that, um, you know, while it seems like there's a glut, each one of them is offering something different. And so I think that we're doing okay. I think if everything was just superhero adventure and it was you know, all the same, then people would be like, you know, enough superheroes for me. I, I, I don't enjoy this anymore, but uh, you know, we've, we've mixed it up a lot. So I think the, the community is hungry for more.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and it's, it's fascinating how, you know, it seemed like uh, the real turning point early on, well not early on, but earlier, uh, like Batman and Robin was so bad. Uh, you know, I've heard I've heard Kevin Feige say it was the most important superhero movie because it just convinced Hollywood that, well, anything can't be worse than this. We'll let them do it their way, and and like you know, hence Batman Begins and 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 people starting to make movies that made sense. Uh, you know, uh, that, that's kind of fascinating because that could have been the end there in a way of the superhero, you know, kind of run. But it, it flipped into an, a different gear. Uh, uh, that's kind of interesting to think about. Uh, but how about superhero animation? Because as much uh, superhero animation as we see, it's almost always on television. There's been really, other than The Incredibles, which isn't based on the comic book. Uh, I mean, uh, Big Hero 6 and Spider-Verse and Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, and that's really kind of it theatrically. Uh, Do you think we'll see more superhero animation
2: after the Spider-Verse success? I mean, I I feel like we have to. I I think that, uh, uh, I mean, especially like having worked on Invincible, it's it's a great way to uh, achieve the kind of crazy spectacle that you get from comics in a, uh, you know, producible way. And yeah. I think that uh, you know these big budget animated films, uh, you know the sky's the limit. And I think that kind of could be the new frontier for superhero movies, uh, being able to you know push things into animation. I think that uh, you know if there was a, a, a DC universe uh, line of movies that were all animated, uh, I think that would be something that would really appeal to audiences. Uh, especially if it aimed for a younger tone than what their current theatrical efforts are. Cause I think it's kind of weird that all those movies are, you know, pushing into being R rated. Like I don't, I don't need an R rated justice league movie. Like, what, what are you guys doing? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, the sky's the limit for the potential on that. And I, I think we'll definitely see people moving into that. I, I mean, it's funny though. Cause like I, you know, I have my ear to the ground. Like if something like that was being developed in secret behind the scenes, I would have heard something. So, so I, it doesn't seem like they're doing that yet, but uh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know.
1: Yeah, no, it, it really doesn't. Um, and also you would think we would have rated R uh, theatrical um, releases also uh, animated at this point in a way that yeah. we don't, you know, I thought the Goon movie would happen by now. And there's, you know, a lot of, you know, different interests and, and obviously, you know this is a heavy metal podcast. I mean, heavy metal, uh, kind of. You would expect that to be on the screen at some point. Uh, again.
2: Yeah, you know. I mean, it just takes one thing to come out to, to tell Hollywood, hey, uh, the risk is lowered here. Yeah, you know, let's 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 try this now.
1: So, well, in a way, you would think Sin City. It, I mean, it, it might as well be animation. I mean, that, I mean that that should prove like a, that that franchise. You could say is a R, rated R animated comic book adaptation of, you know, of notable success, even though it's, I know it's not animated, but it's fairly close.
2: Yeah. I don't know why that hasn't resulted in, in more copycats and, and, and things like that. Uh, because, you know, those were definitely profitable movies and, you know, movies that people still talk to, to this day. So it seems like that's a formula that people could emulate. Yeah. That's all Hollywood does, right? Is they just emulate things that are successful over and over and over again.
1: And, and not,
2: (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's true. <laughs> they sure do. Uh, well, it, it, with Invincible though, it it seems especially suited to the small screen because it, it feels to me like uh, in just like the comic book uh, felt like uh, kind of a, a, a not a response but a uh, um, an ode almost to like the '70s and '80s Marvel kind of big cosmic superhero you know kind of uh, dramas you know uh, epics. Uh, the show has a sense of that like 80s animation that, you know, kind of uh, speaks to that era and, and it, yeah. it's kind of wishful f- fulfillment. It's like the story that we all wanted when we went to see Superman 2 or the movie, you know, the, the, the thing that we wanted really Sp- Spider Man and his amazing friends to do when we tuned in, like to, you know, like really get serious about it, you know. Uh, it's also why we loved What If, uh, because where everybody just gets killed. You know, yeah. But, I mean, that was that was the greatest comic book ever that Marvel ever did. It's like, what if Korvac killed everybody? Like, <laughs> it's like the most macabre, like <laughs> grim, like uh, no, yeah. no, you know, no, not sugarcoating it at all.
2: You know, the only time we can have stakes in Marvel comics is when it's a what if <laughs> issue, and there are no stakes.
1: Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Although, like the imaginary story thing, it's like an imaginary story, but as Alan Moore wrote, aren't they all like, yeah. why is, like, how is that? How is that different than Superman with the, the, the horse with the cape on? Like, that's, that's not an imaginary story.
2: Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, but yeah I mean, I, 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 you know, that was all by design. I think that uh, when Ryan and Corey and I were all working on the comic book, uh, you know, we wanted to do something that you know, paid tribute to everything that we had loved about superhero stories from both Marvel and DC and, you know, from many different eras, Uh, you know, there are things from the modern era that inspired us and from the, you know, 60s, 70s, further back than that, uh, you know, definitely the 80s, uh, and Invincible kind of became this book that, Uh, you know, kind of was like a one-stop shop for superhero stories. It was like you could read Invincible and you could get an entire, you know, Marvel and DC Universe type story that was contained to one book and you had a central focus, but that story could meander and go anywhere and the story could go to, you know, different planets and the center of the earth and, you know, you could have massive, you know, crossover level events in in a couple issues and then have like really personal issues after that and um i think that's why the tv format is is perfect for invincible because it is this long sprawling drawn-out story and um i think comics and television kind of work hand in hand because of their serialized nature mm. and that's really where we'll be able to accurately and you know respectfully adapt the invincible comic series into something that um you know feels a lot like the or, uh, the the show will feel a lot like the comic book series uh in a way that, uh, you know, I think fans are really going to be excited about, and we'll, we'll get to do those like little details and subplots and 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 little things that you wouldn't necessarily be able to work into a motion picture.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and that and and of course that uh, speaks to the great success of *The Walking Dead* in the, in in much the same way, but in a very different way. Um, you know, th- tell me a little bit about the lesson, uh, or or maybe uh, the imperatives, the imperatives of adapting. Um, an epic like this or like The Walking Dead, as far as changing things up, so fans, uh, you know, don't have the same story. Because I mean, that's one of the great uh, characteristics, I think, of The the Walking Dead universe is that uh, the television uh, epic has gone in its own direction and taken its own shape and and, uh, hewed back here and there uh, in really fascinating ways. And it's made it a different and parallel experience that it really wouldn't have worked any other way if it, if it had stayed really uh, you know, religiously faithful. Um, but you also don't wanna make changes just you know, randomly. I mean, obviously you, you wanna be selective and, and you're also working from your work. So like you think you got it right the first time. So you don't wanna just you know, screw things up just to be different. You know? Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that um, uh, I mean, there's a lot. There's, there's a desire for uh, an audience that is familiar with the comics to still get something new out of the show. I'm always trying to be mindful of that. Uh, at the same time, um, you know, you want to... Uh, I mean, frankly, I want to improve the story because especially the early issues, I mean, those were written in my early 20s. And so I think that, uh, you know, when you, when you kind of compare season one to the comics that were adapted for season one of Invincible, I think you can see where certain dials have been turned to uh, heighten drama here and, and, and dig into character development there, uh, just to, you know, in my opinion, kind of overall uh, improve the flow of the story um but uh, uh you know there are certain benchmarks that you have to hit certain things that you have to adapt uh unless uh you know it, it'll stop being invincible uh yeah. you, know, you don't want that to happen but uh, uh there's also a thing i like to call a monitoring the ripple effects uh oh. because like uh, you have to be uh tracking all of the little things that happened in the story that were built upon like many many years later and so, uh, you know, there's little lines of dialogue and 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 little minor things that may not seem important in those early issues, but they're you know kind of pulled upon later and extrapolated into something like you know much bigger. And if you haven't uh, sown those seeds, then you won't have those stories available to you. Uh, and so, so that's you know somewhat of a of a process. Um, but uh, but yeah, and, and you know, then we, we have like a whole group of talented writers that are they're that on Invincible. And uh, it's—I'm really excited about some of the new stuff that they bring. Uh, there's entire subplots that were introduced into the first season that you know aren't from the comics, and that's the stuff that I think is super cool and excites me. And I think that uh, you know all those differences just serve to further enrich uh, the series as a whole. And so it's uh, you know it's great to have collaborators get in there and 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 be creative and add their own kind of spin on things and what you end up with is a big old hearty soup that gets turned into a, a a thing that you know definitely pays tribute to the original comics but is its own product and and uh, you know provides its own experience and i think that's uh you know that's really the secret sauce is having a show that feels like the source material respects the source material but stands on its own and you know provides its own kind of experience
1: yeah yeah well said and and i mean it seems relatively simple, but of course, I mean, that's the hardest thing, you know, like uh, it's to, you know, it's finding magic twice, you know, uh, but that's the job. So, uh, but it's, it's, it's really, really well done. And, and, uh, and just really, uh, uh, like I said, suits my sensibilities just because of the, the era I grew up reading comics and, and the things that I have a fondness for, such as Korvac, you know, like that kind of superhero. uh, Who do you, who would you
2: have played Korvac? Do you think?
1: Would you ever? Have you ever thought about that? No, of course you haven't.
2: I have, I have never given any consideration <laughs> to that. But my go-to answer whenever I'm asked a question like this is Ed O'Neill.
1: Oh, I like Especially
2: it. Because I love Ed O'Neill. I yeah. desperately want to work with Ed O'Neill.
1: <laughs> That's great. That's terrific. I, I I would not see that one coming. I was thinking Brad Pitt, but okay. Yeah, I think uh, I think I would go with that. Um, I think Ed you know, O'Neill can play anybody. Yeah, he sure can. Um, you want and, a Brad and,
2: Pitt biopic, my suggestion, Ed <laughs> O'Neill.
1: <laughs> I like when people played themselves on,
2: in movies and stuff like that. Like,
1: you know, like the Jackie Robinson story and everything like that. Or yeah. the, uh, well, um, One of the things that uh, I wanted to ask you about, uh, I, didn't, I haven't talked to you since The Walking Dead wrapped up the comic. Yeah. Uh, and, and the way that you orchestrated the, the swan song, uh, I just wanted to tell you I just thought it was fantastic the way that you uh protected that last issue and 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 <laughs> what it was going to be and the sort of it's like I was trying to think of it like a comparison to what to, to explain it to people essentially like you had a little artifice where you know you created a, a shell that story uh that was promoted or issue uh, that uh, was going to be uh Uh, hitting the stores, uh, except it was not really the case because, you know, you were wrapping the series up. You didn't want to telegraph to people that it was the the end of this amazing, historic run, uh, and congratulations again on that. Um, Thank you. uh, And, you know, to purposely mislead people in in this, uh, to crusade to protect story and character, I was trying to think if I could think of anybody else that's done anything like that. And the closest thing I could come up with is the story that of the uh, in the film Argo, uh, where they've created a fake film that they're science fiction epic in order to rescue the hostages uh, in Iran. And uh, I think essentially you've done that with comic books, uh, and you were rescuing these characters. Uh, I think um, the
2: stakes I'm, were way lower on my stakes end. Stakes
1: a little lower. Uh, no humanitarian awards are coming to you for this, but I just wanted to tell you in the in the uh, in the you know you get the uh, the grifter award of the year for uh, like uh, and I, I thought that was really that was pretty impressive stuff. Was there any consequence to that that you didn't expect? Any unexpected consequences, like uh, funny or or
2: kind of un- uh, well, I mean i mean i i, I guess I, there were consequences i can't say that i didn't expect them
0: mm-hmm.
2: um but i i actually was a little bit worried that the fans would revolt yeah uh, and so and and then the timing the timing uh, had the issue launching i think two weeks before comic-con that year and so it's always right. like do I skip Comic Con this year? This could be ugly. Like I, I was don't know looking how for you. Go.
1: I was looking for you. I wanted to talk to you about it because, like, uh, I I, I, mean, I had I had questions. Like, yeah. uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> But uh, uh, I mean, the beauty of it is that comics are produced by such small teams. Uh, uh, you know, it was me, uh, Charlie Adlard, uh, Cliff Rathburn, Russ Wooten, our editor Sean Mackowitz. That's the list of people that have to know. Right. Um, you know, and and. And the way that we kept the thing secret was if you didn't have to know, I didn't tell you. So Charlie and I had talked about it years in advance. I mean, we knew it was coming four or five years prior. And so, you know, that was a secret that the two of us kept. And Charlie, to his credit, would often forget, like, I mean, when is it coming? What are we doing? Like, what, what, are we close, you know? And I'd be like, you know, eh, 193, like, you know, uh, uh, and there was some time where it was 192, and then I decided to have that extra, because because 192 would have been where the compendium ended, so naturally, that would have been the last issue. Oh, but yeah. later on, I decided, yeah, like, I want to add this big extra special issue. And also, I was worried that if we uh, if we had done it around 192, people would say, wait a minute, that's the end of volume 32 and hardcover 15 and, or 16, hardcover 16 and compendium four, like, wait a minute, like, they're they're not really, you know, like, this seems like they're building to an end. Uh, so I thought, okay, if it, you know, if, if we're doing, you know, if 193 is coming out, because it was important to me that when people actually got the issue and were holding it in their hands, they had no sense. So I wanted to try to keep the secret all the way up to when it was printed. But, you know, to accomplish that, that meant that, like Cliff Rathburn didn't know that the book was ending until we started turning in that issue. And I was like, well, it's uh, time for you to have to know this. Uh, and then uh, I actually uh, agreed to pay him to work on the issue for, or to work on the series for another 12 issues. So he basically got paid for an additional year to make Great. up for the fact that he wasn't aware that his job was ending. That's, <laughs> Which, that's yeah, awful. I still feel pretty bad about Uh, But, uh, and then Russ Wooten, uh, you know, a similar situation with him. Uh, And then uh, Eric Stevenson, the publisher at Image, I told him a little bit earlier, but there were, you know, very high ranking staff members at Image Comics that didn't know until the issue was shipping. Uh, And so, and then there are very high ranking people at Skybound who weren't told (laughs) until the book came out. And so uh, uh, those people were kind of angry. You know, like, it's kind of like a, you don't trust me kind of situation. And, 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 you know, it's completely valid. And, and I, and I felt a little guilty, but it was like, you know, I, I, like, if I tell you there's 10 other people at your level, I have to tell. And if I tell them, yeah. then it's like 10 friends that are going to find out that if you knew that they're going to be pissed off at me, because yeah, I mean, I had yeah. close friends of mine that I didn't tell either. Uh, so uh, there were definitely a lot of people along the way that felt uh, kind of left out. Yeah which is unfortunate, Uh, but uh, it was just, it was really important to me that, that the series ended in a way that, um, you know, took people by surprise. I think that, uh, you know, the way character deaths happened in that book, um, you know, I wanted the end of the series to come like a character death, like you were reading the issue and, you know, didn't, didn't realize it. And, and, and another cool thing about it was it was solicited to the distributor as a 22 page comic book. And so retailers ordered it thinking it was a 22 page comic book. And it wasn't until they opened the boxes that they saw that it was like 72 pages and had a square bound spine. And, you know, was this bigger thing? Uh, You know, the cover price was 299, like any other issue, even though it was, I think, three or four times the size of a regular issue. And there were people uh, not a lot of them, but there were people that grabbed that comic, held it in their hands, opened the first page, read through it. And in the reading through that issue, realized wait a minute is is this ending is this yeah. the last is this the last yeah. issue and then they got to that last page and we're like oh the book is over and wow. and that to <laughs> me was the like magic that I wanted to try to accomplish because that just it just never happens can you imagine sitting down to watch an episode of television and, and at the end of the episode it's like hey uh that was it you know it's like yeah I mean I guess it happens with you know some you know lesser successful shows that just end abruptly after a season but uh Great. Uh, but to, to have, like, a deliberate, like, crafted ending that, you know, is delivered to you without any expectations, uh, <clears throat> you know, it was really important to me. And then yeah. while we're ramping up to this, Game of Thrones is ending. That's right. And. Ga- the game of thrones ending is is pretty good like it's not this thing that everyone is freaking out about like a lot of people on the internet were i think that it's uh the expectations that kind of sync things especially nowadays when you have things like wandavision where people are like oh wolverine's going to be in episode seven and then it's yeah. like i can't judge this show uh, fairly because i expected wolverine to show up and he didn't and so i'm mad and it's like <laughs> you imagined that like you're mad that the thing you imagined didn't take place like this is unrealistic expectations on on your on your fiction here and so I'm seeing everybody like I've constructed my own Game of Thrones ending and they should have done this and you know like because they're they're hyping the last season of Game of Thrones for like two years and so of course fans have two years to go uh Daenerys is going to turn into a dragon and then this is going to happen. It's going to be amazing. And it's like, well, no, no, no that's, that didn't happen. And so uh, while that's going on, I'm like, are we okay? Like, is it going to be cool that there's no expectations? Is that really going to work? Like, like half of me was like, oh my God, this is great. Like no one has any time to know Walking Dead is ending and and construct how they feel like it should end and That's then right. be pissed off that I couldn't read their minds. Yeah. Uh, and so I felt really good. And then the other half of me is like, people are just gonna like have pitchforks. They're gonna be at my house. Like they're gonna burn my house down. Like this is not gonna be great. Uh, so, you know, it was a it, it was a stressful six months <laughs> leading up I'll to the bet. end. I I'll had bet. no idea what was gonna happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, no. And, and, and Avengers was working up to Endgame too. So like there was yeah. like, there was like everything was, like ending and yours was the secret uh or the submarine um you know uh, of the of the group and 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 with good good reason as you say because i mean i mean if anything the game of thrones the eventizing of the the finale cuts against the exact integrity of the show which is i mean the reason that the the show is successful is because it didn't play favorites in history like if you you know like if in history if it was like a tv show jfk would have been a three-term president and you know like but history doesn't play favorites and and bad things happen to people that are interesting characters and and you know like as soon as ned lost his head uh that you know signaled that that was that show's great attribute is that it was unpredictable you you didn't know who was gonna you know um and just by the nature of building up to the finale just the nature of creating it as an event and, and must see, you know, sort of appointment kind of uh, pop culture. It takes away all that because, because it, it, it makes it the one thing history isn't, which is uh, a drum roll. Here comes, like, here comes the big moment in history. You know, like, you know, nobody knows that's coming. So, and and it's been one of the great things about The Walking Dead, uh, finding very similar uh, sort of authenticity is that, you don't know when people are going to go and you don't know when your favorites are going to fall and 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 because the world is like that and that that makes the story you know all the more emotional and and the different levels um so the way you did it really protected that like i i i i i was kind of flippant but i i really really thought it was fantastic i thought it was it was one of the most uh, uh thoughtfully orchestrated things uh i had seen because it it so spoke to the perfect reading experience, as you say, like, you know, someone, if there was like, if 10% of the audience had that cold open, like, hey, wow, this seems kind of thick, you know, like maybe there must be an
0: ad in the back or something. And, you know, and it's, you feel it building up and, uh, you
1: know, the, you know, the sort of the sense of what's happening. Um, I mean, that's just really, really fantastic, you know. Uh, so good, good on <laughs> Thank you
2: yeah no i'm very pleased with how it turned out there were no pitchforks out you know, out in my front lawn and uh, uh my, my family is alive and well
1: <laughs> yeah no one trusts you anymore though no but now you know it's it's yeah. okay <laughs> you know but it was it's a, it a steep price to pay but you know i admire it i really do i think you're in good shape <laughs> um no,
2: I, I definitely have built this uh uh I guess mystique of like, uh, you know, the walking you get ends by surprise. This Negan lives, one shot comes out of nowhere. Um, you know, I've, I've, uh, I debuted that series, die, die, die without ever announcing it. So yeah. I like that there's this like, you know, air of mystery around like, what, you know, what will Robert do next? Where, where will things come from? Uh, and uh, it makes me do dangerous things.
1: <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, it's good. And it's like, um, like JJ with his mystery box thing, you know, like, you uh, uh, you know his like uh, devotion to secrecy even uh, yeah. even to the point of like uh, you know undermining promotion sometimes you know I think you know like well, I can't tell you what the movie's gonna be you know like well okay that's I mean I respect it I respect it uh, and I guess you know Hitchcock probably I, I feel like psycho was the first the first you know edition uh, of this kind of uh, thinking you know like putting the uh, subverting the traditional structures by doing something that uh, feels more like the real world uh, which well
2: I mean I I think a lot about how uh, how plugged in the modern audience is Um, right you know everyone is is oh wait hold on this movie comes out in 18 months why haven't we seen a trailer yet right you know right and and, uh, oh that trailer didn't reveal enough like I feel like I didn't get enough and and, and, you know trailers for trailers now and that's
1: uh, the best I love that
2: or, or and everyone's paying attention to casting news and, and it's like it's like this thing's you know not even filming yet guys like like you you know everything about it um so you know it's 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 you know i long for the days when you know i, I was a kid and you'd open up the newspaper and be like what the hell is robocop this looks amazing <laughs> like yeah, exactly. what's going on exactly <clears throat> it's, That's and great. all you had before you went to the theater was a, a grainy black and white photo in your in your newspaper like it's awesome
1: what? yeah usually with adrian barbeau i don't know why but uh, always adrian barbeau was involved uh i have to tell you the single best movie experience i ever had that that speaks to like kind of the, the what you're talking about that you know just a uh, pure uh you know lack of uh, ramp up i um, i was working at blockbuster video in gainesville florida in my uh junior college yeah. and uh uh my car died, my, uh, I came out from, uh, I left my lights on and uh, my battery was dead because that's what you do when you're in college, you just do dumb stuff. And it was pouring down rain, Florida, big fat raindrop, sideways rain. Yeah. Um, and there was a movie theater across the parking lot. I had no way to get home, uh, done with work um, and uh, with a buddy. And he's like, well, you wanna just go see a movie? And he said, I have a joint. And I said, okay. So we smoked a joint in the rain and we ran to the movie theater, not looking at the marquee because we had our jackets over our heads. They only had two screens, um, great old theater, buy two tickets, don't even know what the movie is. Literally don't know what the movie is. And I, I we get the popcorn and everything and I'm like, oh, what, which one, what are we seeing? I don't even know what we're seeing. He goes, it's called, uh, it's called Reservoir something. And oh, it was wow. Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> and, and I had no idea what it was going to be and just blew me away. It was like, it was, it could not have been better. It, like it, I, it was the purest movie experience possible.
2: That's amazing. That is yeah. absolutely amazing.
1: I'm so glad it didn't suck. I'm so glad it wasn't like something else,
2: you know? So you're uh, watching that opening scene. You're like, what are these guys doing in a diner? I don't know. Yeah. What's happening.
1: <laughs> yeah. And they start talking about the Fantastic Four. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> Nobody talks about comic books and movies. Like. Yeah. comic books don't exist you know other than like you know breathless and and uh, crimson tide right like that's like silver surfers and crimson tide and and breathless and, and that's like it you know that's awesome anyway. that's
2: awesome uh, my, 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 the closest thing i got to that recently was uh the first john wick movie for whatever reason everything that was going on like i was hearing that keanu reeves was in this awesome movie called john wick but yeah like I think I may have seen a billboard like in LA and was like, oh, okay, yeah, people are saying that's really good. And it was also one of those like small billboards that's like right over the street sign where it's like yeah. almost like a bus sign thing. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, you know, I got to watch it at some point. And then I it, it was like out of theaters before I got around to seeing it. I don't know what season of Walking Dead was going on, or it might have been, I had a hell year where like, Walking Dead and Outcast season one and Fear the Walking Dead season one were all like happening at the same time. So it was probably in that era, but uh, I didn't watch it until it was like available to, you know, watch at home. And uh, I still had never even seen a trailer for it or anything. So that was a movie where I was like, oh, okay. Like, all right. I didn't know the plot. I didn't know the dog dying thing. I didn't know anything.
1: That's awesome. And that's it's very satisfying. It's such a satisfying yeah. movie, you know, like uh, it's really, it's great seeing Keanu do all the things he's doing these days. It's just, uh, uh, it's kind of fascinating to think about him coming up. I, I, I talked to Downey once, and I didn't really think about this, but I don't know why, but I don't think of Downey, Keanu, Depp being all in the same group, uh, yeah. Nicholas Cage, but they all see each other just as peers. I For some reason, I think of Downey being different uh, a little earlier than them for some reason, but um, I think that's sort of fascinating. He, uh, Downey, uh when he did iron man on the the set i was talking to him about it and i said well you know what's what's your you know big takeaway for, you know of this part what, what is it are you most excited about that you weren't expecting and he said uh the slurpee cup you know i just i've always wanted to be on a fucking slurpee cup you know i mean keanu's on a slurpee cup depth's on a slurpee cup nick is cage is on a Slurpee cup i need to be on a slurpee cup and i just thought it was it was very very endearing because he really meant it you know uh and it's something that I would be excited about if I had a Slurpee cup, but uh, it was not the answer I anticipated, but we all need to get our Slurpee cup.
2: Uh, yeah, so we have Iron Man because Robert Downey Jr. wanted to be on a Slurpee cup.
1: Yeah, about- yeah, it's pretty great. It's pretty exciting. And you know, and, and the, the search for Slurpee cup continues, like, you know, Brad Pitt's like still wants to be on Slurpee cup. Like that's what World War Z was, you know, like he uh, wanted to be on a Slurpee cup. And
2: I got to get Brad Pitt on a Slurpee cup. I can I can do a dumb movie with Brad Pitt where he plays like a alien that's got a who knows. Like we can yeah. do this. Well, gotta, Corvac,
1: like I said, I think he's he's like right there. I think he's he's on the precipice of his his Slurpee cup. Um, I wanted to ask you a question. Of, you know, w- the Walking Dead. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just the success of it is just fantastic, and and uh, at both uh, at what it accomplishes in storytelling, what it accomplishes accomplishes in, in genre storytelling. Um, and you know, as, as a television success, and and soon as a, as a film success. Um, one of the things that separates it from the other franchises that we see, though, like you know, um, it's situational. It's about you know, uh, Star Wars has been about the Skywalker family. Star Trek's been about the Enterprise and different iterations and and other stuff. Um, you know, superheroes, we know who they are, but Walking Dead, it's situational. It's about a time and place and in a, in, it's about all the stories that take place in that zone, in this, this, this uh, zombie apocalypse. Um, that makes it different in the way that you have to, you know, um, think about its future and its possibilities and its potential and the way it goes and stuff. Um, I know you think so much about story and I know that you look around and you see, you take in when people do things right and when they do things wrong with, you know, these long term franchises and stuff. Tell me a little bit about Walking Dead. It, it is different than the rest, isn't it? Uh, because of that. Uh, it's You don't yeah. have a Kirk, but you also don't have as many limits.
2: Well, I think the various... Uh... The various shows and the Telltale video game series, coupled with the comics and some of the novels that we've done, I think it paints an overall picture that in order to be a Walking Dead story, it literally only has to be, you know, a bunch of human characters dealing with the zombie apocalypse in a really emotional way. Mm. And I think that's the recipe. You know, and I think, you know, you can expand Star Trek past the, you know, the, the Enterprise story, you know, Deep Space Nine. And I think the, the core aspect is like a very hopeful exploration of the future, like a very optimistic uh, thing. And I think that's what sets it apart from other sci-fi stuff. But sure. I think that uh you know distilling walking dead down to you know human characters dealing with the zombie apocalypse in a very emotional way uh yeah. opens it up to where you know you do yeah. have you know for lack of a better term like the walking dead universe where yeah. uh you know i mean we did a standalone negan issue you could definitely do a whole you know series with negan it's it's not uh you know it's not like a, a I mean, even Star Wars, I guess, is expanding beyond the Skywalker saga at this point uh, uh, to a you know great degree. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, uh, but but the yeah. Jedi.
1: It's still the Jedi. I guess that's that. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah.
2: Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, even the Mandalorian, you know, that that tried to stay away from the Jedi in season one, very much got back into the Jedi uh, uh, with season two. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, Once you turn it into a world, then anything can happen. And I think that's also where you get this sense of, um, you know, like with superheroes, it's like you can do a a heist story in the Walking Dead universe, you can do a romance story in the Walking Dead universe, Uh, you know, you can't necessarily shoehorn superheroes in there, but, uh, you know, You know, yeah,
1: fast and furious found a way yeah, to do it
2: completely out of continuity we are doing this ridiculous thing called rick grimes 2000 in the skybound x uh, comic book event that we're doing where it's uh, superhero rick grimes with a lightsaber uh, fighting a bunch of zombies and uh that's going to be absolutely ridiculous but it's completely out of continuity and 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 just something that we're doing for fun it's an imaginary what if story it's it's an imaginary story as, as Alan Moore would <laughs> off at. yeah
1: that's great but uh, that's interesting, and now as you were saying that, it, I was trying to think, well, what is Walking Dead like? Because I'm not articulating my point very well, I think. But to me, the only thing that's comparable would be Twilight Zone. Because it's about a type of story that exists in a situational, recognizable, ethical, moral world, like uh, you, you know, there's a, a morality to it. I mean, we know what a Twilight Zone is you know, like this, uh, even though it's an anthology. Uh, and that's, I think in, in a way, or that or the Stephen King universe, maybe. Maybe the Stephen King, like the idea, like, like with Castle Rock, how they link up different parts of Stephen King's world yeah. and use And um, the sense of, it's about sensibility and about, uh, uh, you know, sort of a, a, a world uh, view almost.
2: Um, I mean, I guess it's, uh, I guess the, 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 the through line theme is the, attempt to have morals survive in the face of apocalypse where morals, you know, are 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 not necessary or not wise yeah. uh you know it's 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 the the struggle to remain a good person when you have to do whatever you can to survive.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and um uh that's really sort of fascinating because i mean you could do like you could do you know a desert island version of Walking Dead. I mean, you know, obviously there's, there's all kinds of stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but uh, does that, uh, what, is, what's the challenge that comes with that? Because it is different. Uh, is it, you know, just, uh, do you need more Rick Grimes? Is, like, do you need more centralized uh, poster people like that? Or do you, it seems to me it's more, it, it, that would limit it in a way, almost.
2: Well, I think, uh, uh, you know, the character Clementine from the Walking mm-hmm. Dead Telltale game series uh, really shows that I think the stories are better if you have a central figure. I think that Fear the Walking Dead has kind of had a revolving, uh, you know, central figure <clears throat> that, uh, uh, you know, has changed from season to season or, or group of seasons to seasons. Um, and, I, and I think that, uh, you know, you really just want to have that, that anchor character that, you know, the other characters can kind of exist around and, uh, but, you know, I think that that's kind of the strength of The Walking Dead that it yeah. is, um, you know, it's, it's possible to have a bunch of different kind of, you know, Kirk's and Spock's running around. Uh, yeah. you know like Star Trek where you have a Picard or a Cisco or somebody that, that, you know, uh, exists in the world, brings its own kind of flavor, but can still stand as that like icon that, that says, you know, like, the Walking Dead Telltale series is important because it's Clem's story, and you know the Walking Dead core story is you know very much a Rick Grimes and Carl story, and you know the various different characters that kind of you know emerge that uh, uh, are the center of the of the story.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean it. it really is the 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 uh, the epitome of an ensemble. I mean it's uh, in its tones and its rhythms, and uh, um, you know, and and. The voices are always so great. They're so well captured. Uh, and, and and I mean in every, each of the medium, uh, in each medium. Uh, uh, for you, you know, I know that you, uh, again, you think about storytelling a lot and you think about character a lot. Uh, going back to seeing the early Invincible stuff that, you know, you had to do with the, the show uh, sure. and just return to your earlier work in general. Uh, what do you see as like your sort of the, the way that you've approached dialogue and capturing different and distinct voices? Because there's very few writers that have as many different characters as you that, you know, uh, that become so memorable and so integral to the story uh, just by the nature of the, uh, the sprawl. Um, what have you learned about dialogue or, or is it still kind of a
2: spooky art to you? I guess it's definitely a spooky art. I'm glad you threw that into the end. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I certainly I, I mean I don't think dialogue is necessarily my strong suit. I think it's something I, I still struggle with. And um, but you know I know a lot of writers and artists, and I think that um, I think that uh, uh, a sense of of your own limitations I think is is almost essential. I think I've known a lot of artists that are very taken with their work and are very excited by it, and are like, yeah, I'm doing a good job, and they uh-huh. do not grow as artists. Uh, and then I know a lot of writers that are some of the best writers I know that are like, oh my God, this thing sucks. Like, this is just the worst. And, and, uh, you know, the work comes out and people like it, but it's that feeling of like, this thing I did could have been better. That makes you try harder every time you do something. Uh, and, uh, you know, I definitely have that. I, (laughs) I have, I am not a good judge of my own work. Um, almost every script I turn in, I'm just like, oh my God, like, you know, the, 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 uh. What's the thing that you don't, you don't finish a movie, you abandon a movie.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, Some movies are released, others escape. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, it's definitely that, I mean, every script that I do, I'm like, hey, that's not ready. Like, oh my God. And, and in comics, I, I exist on the, uh, the comfort of uh, the fact that an artist has to draw it. And so I know that when I write a script, an artist is going to sit at a desk for, you know, 30 days or longer uh, drawing that that story. And so I feel like they will call me if it is garbage and they will improve it as they draw it. And when the art is done and they send it to me, I can rewrite those word balloons all day long and it doesn't cost anything but my time. And so I always tell myself like, you know what? This script sucks, but this artist needs to get started. So I'm gonna send this to him. And you know, when the artist comes in or when the art comes in, I'll, I'll, I'll fix it, you know? Like whatever. Uh, uh, I'm glad it, you're not an
1: architect. Cause these buildings would be like, there would be some serious issues going on.
2: <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, and then, you know, usually, you know, some time passes the art comes in and I'm going through like trying to finalize dialogue. And I'm like, yeah, this works, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, uh, but it's and it's definitely more of a nerve-wracking process with uh, uh, you know working with you know in animation or in live action. Um, the the process of hearing actors say your dialogue out loud is just absolutely terrifying. And I yeah. think that that has really helped me improve. I think that if you look at all of the comics I wrote prior to the Walking Dead show happening and all the comics that I've written uh, since then, um, I hope that you can see a difference. Just because. Um, yeah you know, there's a lot more consideration that's taken to, you know, making dialogue flow and making things, uh, you know, being a little bit more aware of how repetitive things can get um, and things like that. Uh, so I feel like I've gotten a little better at that just because it's, uh, you know, I mean, there've been many times I walk again where I've been on set where I'll just walk up to the actor and be like, just, just don't say that one part. I, it, it, you know, it's just, I don't know what I was thinking. I'm very sorry. That's
1: great. That's great.
2: Uh, that's very funny. Uh, as far as different characters, because I guess that was your question, like trying to, you yeah. know, make characters as different as possible. Um, I, I, I think variety is the thing that makes me most excited about my work. Um, you know, I, I would probably have a better career if I had done a bunch of things that were like The Walking Dead, but I haven't. Um, you know, Outcast is... You know, kind of horror, but it's like a much more subdued and emotional kind of story. I've done a whole mess of different superhero books. Oblivion Song is sci fi. I've got this firepower thing coming out, this martial arts. You know, everything is is very, very different. And I think that uh, by trying to make the projects as different as possible uh, to keep me invested and keep me excited and doing something different. Uh, I think the characters just by, uh, you know, association to those different kind of books are ending up being uh, kind of different.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, it makes sense. I, 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 there's, a, there's a certain um, uh, rational uh, rhythm to your characters that really appeals to me as a reader. Like, you know, like no matter the circumstances, I, the, the way people react to them feels very rational to me or very uh, authentic. So like, to me that that's like, uh, is really key it's one of the reasons I think of, that Stephen King is so successful is I think that that no matter how what the circumstance of the story is no matter how outlandish or or you know uh, uh supernatural it is the people uh who are facing it um react in a way that has a you know it, it doesn't feel uh
2: contrived or
1: or artificial to me
2: I think um there have been many times when I've been writing something and I realize that I worked out a plot mm-hmm. and I'm now writing dialogue for characters in service of the plot. Mm-hmm. And, and when I feel that happening, I just throw away the plot. Oh, so I just, like, as a, as a writer, you have to be willing, like when you notice that your characters are saying things to advance the plot to the next step, you have to, you know, like I'll be, and then that's, I guess that's like the, that's like what passes for writer's block for me. Like when I'm writing a scene and I can't make it work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've over the years, I've realized you just kind of have to sit back and be like, no, no, no. Your brain's telling you it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and, and, and if you, if you tear down what you're building back a few steps, and go in a different direction it just makes that pathway like a lot more easy and and, and keeps you flowing to a certain extent so um again
1: it's really good you're not an architecture because like this would be a very like this would be an
2: urban disaster right there
1: you're just talking if the, you know let's, let's just this is not working guys
2: <laughs> yeah I just I just watched an interview with Baker and uh, he was talking about how uh writers are either architects or farmers and I've oh, never I've never heard that before me neither uh, but I was like, I was like, Oh yeah, no, I'm definitely a farmer. Like,
1: <laughs> That's really interesting. I wouldn't have to think about that. And he's talking about the way that they, they build their story. Do they, they, uh, do they know? I mean, I, I,
2: yeah, I took it to mean that like, there are certain people that like, uh, like plan things to a meticulous degree and they make sure that everything works and there's a whole lot of different, like, you know, structure to the way that they, and they, and they use that structure, you know, like, certain different things that make stories work and all yeah. this uh, Like a Christopher Nolan,
1: like it's a, it's a,
2: it's yeah, a yeah. time piece. I, I call it book learning. There are people that use <laughs> the book learning for writing. Uh, and then there are other people that are like, yeah, you know, this feels good. I'm gonna get my hands in the dirt. I'm gonna, I'm yeah. gonna move some stuff around, pour some water on it. I'm gonna see what happens. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that's, that's definitely more like the way I do things.
1: I think I can sum this up. So there's, there's a blueprint or there's fertilizer.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs>
0: I'm much more of a fertilizer guy.
2: <laughs> but I was just thinking the other day, like, uh, one of the most fun, uh, like, experiences I ever have when I'm writing is when, um, like, there would be times in Invincible where I would have the script almost completely done, but I'd be like, well, I have a, I have a page, I've got page 16, and I know what happens after that, and I know what happens before that, and all those scenes are covered but there's this one page in this issue and I I don't know what I'm doing here. And so I would just go, ah, you know what? I don't know. There's a guy in a warehouse. He opens a box. The box is glowing. Cool. Like that's a page. And I wouldn't know what that is. I wouldn't know where that goes. I wouldn't know why that's there, but it would just be there. And so yeah. then when I go to write the next issue, I'd be like, oh yeah, I had the guy open that box. What the hell is that about? You know, and like, that's when I would be the most excited. Like, oh man, like where, where could this go? And then when, when it spirals into some, you know and then like 30 years later, or 30 <laughs> issues later, you know, they're fighting the monster that came out of the box and the whole city's collapsing. And you're like, oh my God, it came from that one page. Uh, and it's just nonsense. It's just that's absolute awesome. nonsense that I threw in for fun. Uh, like, uh,
1: it sounds like repo man. I yeah, what is it? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just, you just have to have something in the, in the trunk or in the suitcase uh Absolutely. pulp fiction right yeah
2: but that's uh fun. yeah that's just the oh man that's the best that's the best i mean one of the scenes in walking dead i uh uh this will be spoilers for anyone who hasn't read 10 uh, uh, year old issues of walking dead but uh, there's <laughs> an issue Bud. where uh <laughs> eugene and abraham are are walking uh outside of alexandria and you don't know that the saviors are lurking and they're like watching them and stuff and you see that the saviors are, are watching and the issue ends with abraham going well, we got to get back here and blah, you know, like he's like talking about what they have to do. And then the next issue opens and he gets shot in the head with an arrow and dies, like on the opening pages of the following issue. And, you know, that just happened because I was like, well, they're in danger. And I had originally written them getting attacked and and running back into Alexandria and being fine. And I was like, they're at a real disadvantage here. And it was also another one of those cases where like what I was having happen, served the plot more than it was realistic. And I was like, you know, Abraham could die here. You know, I have plans for him and I wasn't planning on him dying, but that could be neat. Let's see where that goes. And then we just. Cruel and fickle
1: God. A cruel and fickle God. That's what you are. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Please continue
2: but uh uh but yeah the, the the you know the excitement that comes from like not knowing where the story goes from there and how him being removed from the story affects all the different things i had planned i mean that's that's when i really roll my sleeves up and i'm like oh we're gonna have some fun now
1: yeah well that's that's really interesting it's like uh billy
2: i think it was billy wilder i'm not sure said the
1: the, the first act is you chase him up a tree second act is you set it on fire third act is they get out of it uh all right you know, and like everything that guy said was awesome. Like, I love that he came to the United States, didn't know how to write, it didn't speak English. And basically within like 20 years was, you know, writing some of the most interesting movies ever made, you know, Um, but uh, you know, as far as uh, character, I think that, um, you know, I think you're selling yourself short. I think your character is actually uh, very well done. I think the dialogue is really, really well done, actually, because it, uh, of that authenticity and that sort of rationality. Because uh, you know, otherwise, things become about ideas instead of about people. You know, and I think that that's one of the problems I have. You know, with the Star Wars films and stuff, is that the, you know, I always thought that George Lucas liked ideas more than people. And 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 his he's filled this universe and, and it's fascinating, uh, the way he's done it. But you know. Uh, to me, those films almost feel like a, a revisitation to, it's almost like Kabuki at this point, or like, you know, uh, going to see uh, The Nutcracker or something like, you know, it's like, I know what it's going to be, it's just that they're going to do it different. And that's cool. Um, but I, I, it doesn't feel lived into me, you know, and, and uh, it's hard for me to get excited about it in a way that I get excited about things that have, you know, kind of uh, characters. I'm, I'm much more interested in Rick Grimes
2: than any member of the Skywalker family at this yeah. point that's that's cool. I think uh uh I don't know I was thinking about this while you were talking and maybe it's 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 not exactly what we're talking about but like Mad Max Fury Road is one of my like favorite movies of the last, you know, my lifetime. Ever. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, uh and and I think the thing about that movie is is the plot is uh these people escape and then they have to go back and it's like that's that's all it is and um, but but I, I feel like you get to know those characters in, in really intimate ways over the course of that journey. And so it does seem like it's a movie that focuses on spectacle over character. But if you really pay attention, it's, it's not like you, you you know, like mad, like Max actually does have an arc, you know, and and he is a person by the end of the movie. And that's really fascinating. And, uh, you know, uh, Fury wrote Furiosa, uh, Fury Rota, I think is what my brain was trying to make. (laughs) But uh, Furiosa has like a, a, you know, really, you know, like great story and you really get to know her really well uh and 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 the plot in that movie doesn't matter at all it's it's literally just a function of getting cars to chase other cars and keep things interesting and i think that's the like absolute best way to make a movie Uh, you know the raid another great movie i have to get to the top of this building and 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 take this guy down that's it you know and and there's like you know interesting things you learn about the guy along the way uh, with his brother and all that kind of stuff that's just kind of worked in uh, but uh, uh, you know the plot moves and you get to know the character and 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 it's really the character stuff that's that's more important
1: yeah yeah and it's like that's like the uh, I said the raid
2: like, is a character study come at me I don't care
1: <laughs> yeah it's true it's true you know I you know what I'm right there with you and it's it gives it this sort of uh, something that somehow makes things feel biblical to me I don't know why that is maybe it's the elemental maybe that's a better way to say it like you know uh, I think like I, I, I used to take the train when I was working at the Times. Uh, I live in Long Beach, but I, I work downtown at the LA Times main office, and I would take the train in, uh, which is very non-LA, but very cool, and I would read on the way in because uh, it was the only time I really could do it, and uh, I remember I, was, I made a mistake, though. I chose uh, Cormac McCarthy's The Road, You know, I had, um, and, and I wasn't prepared for the effect it would have on other commuters to see that... Uh, the guy with the laptop was kind of crying over there. Like, uh, like, you know, like it's a little early in the morning to be crying. <laughs> like he, he looks like he's not homeless. I don't know. He looks a little, I don't know what, it makes people nervous. Like they were like, what's going on? This guy knows something we don't
2: know. Um, There's a lot of studies on crying in public and how it affects people. <laughs> <I don't laughs>
1: I've had some crazy experiences on the blue line. Let me tell you, I just, uh, I, I, took the Osc- I took it to the Oscars once Um, and came home, but I forgot about it. I got drunk at the Oscars and I ended up stealing kind of a Cary Grant poster. Uh, As you do. Yeah, I was in a tuxedo and uh, so I'm carrying this big picture of Cary Grant and I'm like, oh shit, I'm on the train. And I get on the train and and, and kind of, you know, one in the morning, a guy in a tuxedo with a Cary Grant poster like on the train and, and clearly inebriated, it's a different brand of nervous that you make people you know like uh they don't trust you but they also think you might be a singing telegram so i don't know there's a there's a lot of different things going on uh but uh anyway i just thought i'd share that
2: well i'm glad you survived that
1: <laughs> barely just barely so i have um, to think
2: the 1 a.m on the train you probably weren't the weirdest thing there
1: but no well you know how i got the poster this is a funny story it, it's just uh, even better than that it's a short story is uh I, it was that year uh, was like my fifth going to the Oscars, and I had been banned for life by that point and had gone five more times after being banned, which is just so proud of that.
2: Uh, did you get banned for press shenanigans? Or is yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, like 99, I was banned. For, I got a letter, and they, I, they called up with the city attorney, and they were going to uh, uh, have
2: a microphone that shot water into Tom Cruise's face. Like, what did you do? No, I, that's a
1: different story. I can't tell that one. That's too oh, long. It's, it's oh a good God. one. No, I'm just joking. It's, uh, yeah, I, they thought I broke into the rehearsals because my story was so complete. I found out so much about the show that they assumed that I was trespassing criminal. So they were going to charge me with criminal trespass. And I'm like, I didn't go in the fucking building. <laughs> go ahead and charge me. Um, <laughs> they didn't know I got a hold of a copy you of the script.
2: Just, you so wrote sure. your story so well that they, yeah. they couldn't comprehend that's, that's right.
1: That's right. And I was banned for life and proceeded to go eight times. So right. uh, I love that. Um, right. But this so one good. time I got invited to the governor's ball and, you know, which is the big uh, uh, fancy thing that they have after the show. And it's like 10% of the audience gets to go to this thing. It's the governor of the Academy, not the governor of California. And they have this uh, just beautiful uh, like prom for Hollywood. And you don't know why you get invited. And you don't know why you don't. And it's one. This, I only got invited one time and I went it was oh, two, two times and it was fantastic and I got seated at U2's table it was the year they were nominated for gangs from New York gangs of New York and um so I was just having the best time um and all the way to the end I'm just there my story's turned in and I'm drinking a lot of martinis because I just really want this Hollywood magic to continue and at the end of the night oh sadly I have to go And I'm the last person, the person right in front of me is Ben Kingsley and his little entourage. And I had interviewed him on the red carpet early in the day. I said, Mr. Kingsley, he goes, excuse me, Sir Ben, please. And I'd never had anybody do that before. Like they actually stopped me and said, no, no, Sir Ben. And I was like, forgive me, Sir Ben. And he goes, and this is Lady Jane. I'm like, seriously? Like, like, really, Lady Jane, Um, because she she is. uh, and later I found out it was because you know, the, uh, the way that he grew up uh, um, and uh, the, the humble origins of his life, it made him important to have that title. So I respect it now. But at the time, it kind of rubbed me wrong. I'm like, Sir Ben, right, right. And so we're walking out. Now, he's the guy right in front of me. And I'm like, oh, Sir Ben, huh? And I'm, I'm kind of doing a sideways walk because I've had like too many martinis. Uh-huh. And uh, he has a little entourage. And there's this sign hanging. It's a poster of Audrey Hepburn, black and white, big portrait a press board uh, hanging on threads, part of the, 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 uh, the curtains and the uh, reception uh, setup, And he stops and he admires it. And one of his people go over to the security guy who's got like a LAPD badge on his, on his tux. He's like off duty cop. He says, Sir Ben is a great admirer of Audrey Hepburn and wonders if he might have a memento of this wonderful evening. Yes, absolutely. And the security guy goes over, and pulls the thing off the wall and hands it to this person They they trundle off into the night and I'm watching this, right? So I walk up to the security guy and he looks at me and he can tell I'm in trouble already, but I'm the last one he just wants to go home. And I said, so I'm a big Cary Grant fan. Can I have this one or do you gotta be fucking Gandhi? (laughs) So he pulls it off the wall to his credit. He says, I don't care what you do, just do it quickly and move along. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that so, so that's the that's how I got that I still have the Cary Grant poster if you ever if you ever need a giant placard uh press board of Cary Grant and a tuxedo I'm, I'm your guy
2: hold on let me make a note of that, <laughs> I'll keep that so, in mind.
1: well now we know for sure now the Oscar ban is in place now it, it, it will be they'll, they'll close that loophole they'll make sure I never get in there again after this
2: uh, so. I'm sure you're fine
1: I saw the show it's okay it's okay it's not a problem. <laughs> so, well what a treat to talk to you man. I could talk to you for days. Uh and uh I'm just so excited to uh to see your continued success, you know, as a as a as a, a reader of stories and as a lover of character, uh you're a force of good in the
2: world. well thank you man. No, it's always great talking to you. I uh, you know, really appreciate uh you spending the time with me and uh, you know, let's do it again sometime.
1: That sounds great. All right. Well, take care and uh, We'll follow up and talk to you again.
2: Okay, man, sounds All good. Right.
1: Take care, All right. bye-bye. Bye. Right.
0: Well, thank you for tuning into Jeff Boucher's Mindspace. That was Jeff Boucher talking with Robert Kirkman, creator of Invincible and The Walking Dead. You can check out the series finale of Invincible on Amazon Prime, and then there should be more soon because I saw it was just renewed for seasons two and three. So lots of congrats and Jeff, I wanted to ask you about, you mentioned that you had interviewed Kirkman before and not due to Kirkman, there was a kind of scary occurrence that happened at the LA Festival of Books.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, this was back at the um, the Festival of Books, as you say, the LA Times Festival of Books. Uh, I would do a, um, a lot of stage interviews there uh, through the years. And it's, for people that don't know, it's been, it's a festival that's been, uh years was at the UCLA campus and then more recent years at the USC campus and it's become the largest uh, book festival in the country uh, uh, and certainly the largest free one and um, uh, yeah as you say, I I was interviewing him there in front of an audience I would say about 600 people 700 people and everything was going pretty well and a security uh, one of the security folks had a seizure uh, and she was right at the edge of the stage and uh, luckily, everything turned out fine. Um, you know, the, everybody was calm and and uh, and did as instructed, and and, and medical personnel came and, and made sure that she got uh, all the care that she needed. And uh, but it, it was interesting because of the the uncertainty of the the situation and just the the kind of uh, the jarring nature of going through a, um, a I wouldn't call it a crisis, but just you know, kind of a unexpected life moment that has some, you know, kind of scary uh, uh, possibilities to it, and I felt like it really bonded me with Robert that day. Like, uh, I think that sometimes when you go through a public speaking experience with somebody, I found this before, that it kind of, especially if it's it bumpy or, or challenged or something, uh, then you kind of feel like you've gone water rafting with somebody. You have a, a certain level of bond that goes beyond uh, just uh, citizen to citizen, uh, if you will. But uh, I, I like Robert an awful lot. And I think that he's a really talented guy who uh, doesn't give himself enough credit sometimes as far as like his own work. Cause I think that he's kind of uh, doesn't badmouth his work but he, he, uh, he's very humble in a lot of ways about his work. And, um, but I think it's it, the achievements he's had are really, you know, maybe not um, recognized quite uh, for their full breath yet. Uh, you know, I think people don't even realize uh, the, the contribution that he's made uh, all these years with, with the excellence of the Walking Dead, both on the page and on the screen. And, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens when it becomes a feature film. I, I think its rhythms are, are better suited to TV, just in the same way that Invincible is suited to TV, as he was explaining. I think that, uh, um, you know, The Walking Dead. Has benefited from its its native medium, and I think uh, the leap to the big screen certainly isn't uh, uh, a long shot or anything. It's not uh, you know an underdog effort by any means, but it's got some uh, some challenges to overcome just based on its own you know wiring, just the way that the story is usually told. You know. uh,
0: yeah, maybe we but, can put him in touch with Nicholas Meyer of Wrath of Khan.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think. Uh, you know, Nicholas Meyer would be an architect and uh, uh, not a farmer like uh, like Robert Kirkman. I'm going to have to track down that interview he was talking about with, um, uh, I think he said it was with Ed Brubaker, uh, the great Ed Brubaker, who is, you know, one of the, is like, you know, uh, a titan figure to me is in comic book writings. I, I think he's like a, a really, really wonderful writer and a a great guy and he's the you know creator of the winter soldier as as uh as people know and he's the man that killed captain america uh in the comics which uh you know uh, everything you know
0: it didn't stick but you know we haven't forgotten that (laughs) no one stays dead in that universe except for uncle ben the question at this point is
1: oh yeah uncle ben yeah um (laughs) is is there anybody Is there any superhero that hasn't come back from the dead at this point? Like, I mean, any major superhero? Like, it's kind of interesting. Like, you would think that that's all they would talk about at their meetings is like their afterlife experiences. Like, well, what was it like when you were dead, Oliver? Well, when I was dead, Hal, you know, like, uh, I mean, everybody's been dead. Aquaman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman.
0: Um, (laughs) Like,
1: don't they think that's weird? Like, don't they think that maybe that they're not in a real universe because all of them have
0: come back from the dead? You know? That'd be interesting. They're like, yeah, when I was in Nirvana, they're like, you went to Nirvana, I was in heaven. Oh, what was that like? Like, <laughs> that's right, that's right. Like, Thor
1: dies. Does he go to the same place as Hercules? Probably not. <laughs> but then, how do they, how do they reconcile that later? Like, back at the headquarters. Like, yeah. Uh, there's that one line that was really interesting in uh, the Avengers, right? Uh, in the Avengers if I'm right, where uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson says, you know, oh, he, he's a god, you know, talk about Thor and, mm-hmm. and Captain America says, uh, I'm pretty sure God doesn't dress like that, man. Uh, you know, it, it's a pretty great Norman Rockwell kind of era response yeah. to uh, seeing a Norse god fly around.
0: <laughs> it's pretty good. I do, I remember that because I was, remember thinking, like, what does this mean for the world at large now? Like. Yeah. Basically, the world found out that aliens and gods existed within like the same year. Yeah. And yeah. Do like, <laughs> you even think it would be like a thing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's, uh, they it just kind of, especially Thor. I mean, that's, it is really kind of interesting. And it's how nutty the Marvel universe is that, you know, aliens and vampires and gods and wizards. Like, yeah, and then, like, The Impossible Man. And, like, just, you know, it's, like, all over the place. Uh, you know, you have these, uh, you have the universe uh, as a character, you know, <laughs> with a funny hat. Because, uh, uh, you know, if you're cosmic, you have to wear a Jack Kirby headdress, you know, uh, which makes you look like a tiki. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty nutty stuff. And and then, the, like, those guys, that, you know, uh, they're, like, there's the... the um, the collector, yeah, you know, he just collects people. Like, what's that all about? <laughs> That's kind of nutty. And one seems to have a problem with it, yeah. And then, like, you know, there's Marvel had Godzilla comics and Shogun Warriors and uh Micronauts, so I mean, they're all in there too. You have all these toys running around, it's just crazy. The dogs that the Russians sent up, <laughs> yeah the only character in the marvel universe that doesn't exist anymore really because he can't is uh is rom, you know, r o m, rom, the space knight. Okay. There was a in the her. 70s, uh Marvel started publishing uh, a lot of toy-based comics, you know, like so you had uh shogun warriors and and uh, micronauts um and they interacted with the Marvel Universe, you know, at some level, just like Godzilla did. Like, you know, there's Nick Fury and Shield were fighting Godzilla in the comics in the '70s, um, and uh, that's where the but, new cinematic universe is headed. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> it's going to become, you know, yeah, they're going to run into all the other Disney characters, you know, like that. That's what's that's what's going to happen next. Um, I, I think they should do an Invaders, uh, the Invaders. Uh, they should do is a film with uh Captain America and Bucky, it'd, it'd be a wartime. So, Captain America, Bucky, Namor, the original human torch, but then also throw in the Rocketeer mm. uh, from the Disney movie, uh, and Indiana Jones just for fun. Like, that's that'd be fun. Like, I would go, Donald see Duck
0: fought Hitler, we can have him on the, on the team
1: now. I don't think you're taking me seriously now. And no, I mean <laughs> this now, I'm not joking. <laughs> Uh, no, that
0: would be cool though. I'd like to see some more of those like team up things kind of like in the past, like they had with, uh, I mean, the first Captain America, the, what uh, was it, Peggy, uh, Agent Carter. Yeah, yeah, All she them. was in it. Yeah, especially yeah. after like this last movie, Endgame, and they went back to S.H.I.E.L.D. and like the, was it the 60s or 70s? I was like, I just want to see more of this world. Like, okay, so oh, we God. found out super soldiers exist. Where do we go from here after World War II? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that there's a, uh, and just and just the World War Two getting the Howling Commandos and mm-hmm. all those guys. It'd be fun.
0: It'd be fun. And uh, that would be cool with them having, like you said, all those rights and different characters bringing in several of the Disney stuff. Yeah, yeah, Indiana Jones and Rocketeer would actually work.
1: Um, <laughs> it'd just be funny. Uh, I guess it'd, it'd probably be hard to have Indiana Jones, you know, in the same universe as, as uh, Thor. But, you know, once he was in the, once he, Crawl down that refrigerator, anything goes, anything goes.
0: All bets are off. so. (laughs) I was, uh, going back to Robert Kirkman though, I was thinking during the interview how I feel like the trajectory of The Walking Dead is almost the opposite of Star Wars, yet they're both these like massive franchises. Like Star Wars started as the movie, became comics, TV shows, all that. Walking Dead started as the comic, became a TV show, now they're starting to do the movies. Like I wonder yeah. what this is going to be in like twenty years, if, like the it, ninety-seven it, different video games they've made. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, I think in really... twenty years it'll be just like a survival manual and like seen as prophetic. <laughs> uh, it Went from uh, fiction to nonfiction. Well, yeah, it'll be we'll a retirement be a... community. It'll be a retirement
1: community, and that's the really terrifying thing: <laughs> is that there's going to be a Walking Dead, you know, sort of <laughs> theme world that people are going to live in, and it'll they'll just incorporate like. You know, fitness, like you have to run to stay away from people. So like that's how they keep people active and stuff. Yeah. It'll be yeah, makes sense. It'll be and their medications will make it kind of foggy, yeah. like when things are real and not. Like it could be really, you <laughs> know, um, it's gonna be a nightmare. But yeah, it'll be a, a big success though. And that's what's important. We're giving so many good ideas to writers right now. I know. We're just giving them away. It's like gold. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think we're We gotta start charging for these ideas, but uh, it'll be interesting to see where it does go. And um, you know, watching things go from you know uh, across media from medium to medium is sort of fascinating. I I think for me, Transformers. I I I went and I covered the the Universal uh, Studios ride when they opened the Transformers ride, and I don't know if you guys have been on that. it's fantastic. Okay. Like, it's like, it's an unbelievable experience because of the way it, it uses 3d, um, um, digital visual information, but also with, uh, uh, atmospheric stuff that's in the room. Uh, the, the way that they uh, depth perception and, and, uh, the setup of, um, the whole thing, it's just really ingenious. And a lot of people consider it or, uh, one of the Spider-Man rides overseas to be like the, the, um, the best theme park experience uh, ride. And uh, I went and I wrote about it when it first opened. I, I, I went on it with Michael Bay, the two of us took a ride on it together. Um, and uh, it, it occurred to me that it was a theme park ride based on a film, based on an animated series, based on a toy. And um, I think I got that right. And I, I thought that like if there was one more thing like reality would just like crack and break like i thought that the, you know there really was nothing left um to do but uh but then also i thought it was pretty good so that i mean that's unexpected as well
0: yeah wow yeah, that's a deep uh, inception style like based on this based on that based on that. <laughs> yeah yeah it's just going a little
1: further than anybody expected um but it i mean those movies like- have those movies have as well you know like i mean how I many it's like
0: 12 years of his life was making transformers yeah. movies it's crazy it's crazy that someone going like i like this toy car and i like this toy action figure what if what if i put them together and now yeah. we have all these yeah your peanut butter's in my chocolate and then yeah. like you
1: know 30 years later it's an amusement park ride right? that's awesome But, uh, you know, it's one of those things I I can see you guys going your whole life without ever thinking, I need to go on the Transformers ride at Universal Studios. But if you, I I thought that and then I went on it and I was like, wow, this is really cool. It's not so much for the thrill of seeing the the Transformers because they're not near and dear to me at all, but um, it really is a pretty cool uh, you know, kind of uh,
0: experience. Yeah, sounds like a cool cool run i've never been to universal i've been to disneyland and california adventure but never disney world or universal or anything else
1: oh yeah yeah epcot's great epcot's yeah. worth doing i went there when i was a kid uh when it opened the year it opened yeah didn't you say you had the like first the stub or something? yeah yeah i found the the parking our uh, parking ticket uh from that day which you know <laughs> I mean, it was kind of expensive to go there and, you know, feed the family and stuff. So, I mean, clearly, uh, my parents were kind of, uh, here, here's your souvenir. It's the parking stuff. Like, uh, you know, I didn't, get, I didn't quite score the, uh yeah. the, uh, you know, the Mickey Mouse plush toy that I wanted. I got the uh, the parking stuff. But I still, I still have it all these years later and I treasure it. So, there you go. It's memories. <laughs> That's what it's all about. Yeah. So, well, fantastic. Well, uh what a what a fun time talking to Robert and um, uh, I really do think I could talk to that guy forever. I have so many questions for him. He's done more for zombies than you know anybody other than George Romero. It's really amazing.